swords and handle art to spark souls and charge souls to cross roads and bandits are catacombs and giant doors protect the chest and store some legendary items with the dragon bones and iron it's a grand theft of old scrolls simon's quest the drone earl rock shoes to air clue keeps the exit gaming news the police get some bad dudes to crash crew like bandicoot all shit a game in english Control issues. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. Ah, nice. Getting a little bit better at this. Try. <laughs> what is control issues? I am the AMC. And this is A Dub. You can find us at control issues.com. That dash is a hyphen. Get to know it, better know it. Uh, go to your podcast provider, whoever that may be. You can download, subscribe to, and rate control issues we would appreciate it go on over to twitch.tv slash control issues pod you want to see gameplay videos we put those up there it's for you and you can also hop on over to twitter my control issues is the handle handle that yes we are back back to back weeks a dub not back letting the covid back. stop us <laughs> like jordan 96 97 like the cover of Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Damn. Um, yes, we're doing it. We're holding it down. It's still, um, you'll notice that there's slight different, there's, there's slight different pitches in the sound quality. A dub might sound a little more robotic. It might pick up a little a little more in the background. But this is because right. I have fewer feelings. Yes. Yeah, you just becoming, <laughs> slowly becoming Vader. Darth, exactly. Darth, Darth Dub. Cold and dead. <laughs> <laughs> Darth Double, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it positive because that's what it's all about. Um, so, a dub, what have you been playing? Oh man, I have just been digging deeply into Divinity Two. What it is, it's outstanding. I'm finally, I finally left the starting island, and they give you a prompt when you're leaving this like yo you can't come back any missions that you have on this island will be closed it's over so made sure that i licked the plate on the island i'm sure there's a couple of things i didn't do there was a guy who was burning eternally and i couldn't put out the fires so i was like fuck it you're just gonna burn eternal (laughs) and yeah now i'm in the mainland um i i got so let me give you some background. When you start the game, and the way this game is working is that we all know that in the first game you played as Source Hunters, two of them, and you enlisted the help of two of many other characters within the world of Rivalon, and you went and you did whatever you had to do to get the world rid of the Void Dragon and to achieve divinity. When you're playing part two, you are no longer source hunters. In fact, you are sorcerers. And what happens is that it's a bunch of you that are prisoners and you have on these source collars. So you can't use your source abilities and you have to figure out how you're going to get out and how you're going to get away. So I figured out how to get out 
I figured out how to get away. Got to the mainland. My source collars are off. All my characters, free as a bird, were blending in. It's an outstanding experience, and it's at this point that I'm really beginning to appreciate the quality of life improvements that Larian has made to this title to succeed the previous one. Ultimately, I find it it's just a far better experience from the music to the visuals to just the little touches, the writing, the aesthetics. Everything feels more cohesive, interwoven, just more alive. So I'm playing this game. I'm at home with the combat system now. I understand the different armor types. I understand the different characters I have to engage with. I know how I'm going into battle. Uh, I know my characters better as well as their roles based on their stats. So people are playing their positions. I'm having a great time. AMC, do you have any questions? Because I know you were the first among us to be Divinity. So I know you probably have some questions, a little bit of intrigue. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll just rehash a couple of things that you've kind of laid out for me that I found are very interesting. So let's get into that that armor system that they added into yes, the game. which is one of my favorite changes that they made to the game. As you know, in the original, you go into battle and your resistances are based on your stats. So you have your willpower, you have your bodybuilding, those determine which kinds of status effects that you'd be most susceptible to. And if those stats are non-existent or too low, at the beginning of a combat situation, you'll find yourself being hammered with status effects that impair your ability to be able to function. Now, with Divinity 2, what they've done is they've gotten rid of bodybuilding. They've gotten rid of willpower. What they have now is physical armor as well as magic armor. At the beginning of every fight, these bars are full. And what happens is that as, as you engage with the enemies, as they attack you and land their attacks, first they have to wear down that physical armor as, and or that magical armor. Uh, until status effects start to get applied. So as long as you have these armor types, if you get hit with an attack or a spell that carries a status effect on it, that status effect will not go through. Now, once that armor is gone, that's when you start taking those effects. So what it does for the shape of combat is that at the beginning of a fight, it's, it's a lot of posturing and positioning as opposed to like, okay, shut down your healer, shut down your spellcaster, shut down your archer. <laughs> yeah, that's gone. Instead, it's it's moving around. It's figuring out who's doing what. It's picking out the, the straggler in the group or focusing all your fire on the big enemy, taking them out, and then figuring out how to manage with the remainder as they wear down your armor and as you prioritize. So it's, there's a lot of maintenance going on and it makes combat even more tactical and strategic than it was in the previous game because it's, it's no longer a matter of, okay, how do I just cut through these enemies as fast as possible? It's like, okay, which enemy am I going to cut through? How long can I endure before I need to start doing maintenance? And then once all the armors are gone, that's when it boils down to the more traditional divinity experience. So it's, yeah, it's, 
it's it's multi-layered it's multifaceted it's outstanding yeah i like that they decided to like to go this route as opposed to um continue with the the same battle system as before mm-hmm. um one i just enjoy like when or was it like fallout or when those games started to add in like the damage threshold as opposed to just like just an armor an yeah. armor rating where it's like those little details where you have to fight through this point or you're only gonna be doing so much uh damage on top of like what you're trying to do yeah there's more nuance and it also opens up new options that you maybe wouldn't have done in the previous game so for instance because you have these armors and you know that you're not going to take on a negative status effect until those armors are worn down, you can do things now in the second game that you wouldn't necessarily do in the first one. So pretend the battle starts, they break open an oil barrel, they set it on fire. You're not going to pick up the burning status effect unless your magic armor is gone. So what that allows you to do is to not only be able to just run through the fire while taking damage to your magic armor the whole time, but you can also fight in it and you're not burning until that magic armor runs out. It's, it's that kind of stuff that still like, even though the hazards are out there, it still allows you the maneuverability and the flexibility to be able to engage the enemies before you get into a situation where it's going to become a problem. Yeah. Which is great because it, it works in your favor and it also works against you. Cause there are definitely, what I was saying, like there are definitely at points towards definitely towards the end of the, my, my run in divinity where I was just like status affecting like anybody and everybody just because my skill level was so high. And then I had the abilities to lower, yeah, like their saving throw or their willpower. So I could just override. Willpower charm combo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like you just, you learn those little That paid dividends from a playthrough. Yeah, like you're just adding units into your like into your base so it's just like all right i'm gonna just take this pawn and now he's mine and he is gonna fight you and cause trouble on your end (laughs) um what's less of you and more of me yeah exactly um what's What's it like you told me that you have an undead character on your team what's that like yes It's interesting. So to preface this whole thing, in the original Divinity, like we said, you have the two source hunters. Those are your characters that you design or not. You just pick some presets. In Divinity 2, you have six characters and they're all main characters themselves. Each character has their own story, their own motivations, and they can also be a main character. So in the previous Divinity, you could only talk to people with your source hunters. If you tried to talk to people with the NPCs, they'd be like, yo, where's your master? Why am I even talking to you? Get the fuck out of here. Divinity 2, any one of your characters can talk to anybody at length with skill checks, with unique options, you know, specific to their individual traits. And we'll talk about that in a second. But playing with the undead is interesting because he's like, he's so disassociated with what's going on and how people live he's from an ancient civilization that walked among the gods so he knew the gods personally and he's he's also just the way he behaves is weird because he's trying to blend in 
so that he can do what it is that he wants to do. But at the same token, he does not blend in at all because his ways are so esoteric and weird. One of the things that he always goes on about with people is their faces. Because one of the things he does, he has a mask that allows you to cast a spell to determine how people see him, whether he's a human or an elf or a dwarf or a lizard. And then I also have this item I got off a boss called a face ripper, which allows him to blow up a body and take their face. I haven't used it yet to see what that's going to be like. And then at this, and then on the flip side of that is based on what you are, the NPCs will react to you in different ways. Like they, they may not be partial to elves and have a bit of racism associated with that. Or, you know, just the idea of talking to a skeleton is just so frightening and repulsive that they won't give you anything at all. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to use though, the the face mask, the magic face mask and change your appearance. You got to put on a hood and like his headwear also has a stat, not a stat, but like a status effect where if you have on headwear, then people can't see that he's a skeleton. So if you're just walking around with your skeleton head out, you're going to have problems. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it adds like a whole new, I guess, stealth mechanic in, in essence. Like um, I'm, I'm watching Naruto, rewatching it. And like, it's all about like with the ninja, like taking on the persona of other people and trying to make yourself look like the enemy. And like with that, like, yeah, like what you described with him being able to blow up somebody and take their face, if that's something that you'll be able to use to, you know, like in the first game when you have to infiltrate the immaculates. And so you have to find a way to prove that you're one of them. This is just a character that can basically become an immaculate in essence after killing one. Now you see there's no immaculates in this game, at least not yet. We're dealing with the magistrate. And well, their immaculates were like they were completely tied to Leandra, right? And yeah, she, she made them. Yeah, but now the magistrate—they're tied to the divine and royalty. But what they're doing is they're hunting down source users and wiping out their ability to be able to use source because the the fear now is that sorcerers using source attracts void woken which are the enemies, the demons. And so they're getting rid of people who use source and they're also like converting them into weapons at the same time. It's, it's some crazy stuff going on. Yeah. How far after the first game does this take place? Uh, if, if I'm correct in what I'm gathering. So you finish the game, you get rid of the void dragon. You're two characters become divine and then i think it's maybe a couple at least a couple of generations after that okay yeah and now things have flipped around quite a bit where sorcerers are being hunted down and gotten rid of and now it's like your two characters emerged when the problem did and are you are you like shuffling something right now Oh, I'm, I'm moving this cable around on my desk. Oh, so okay, yeah. I'll stop it, it, doing the, that. The mic is picking it up. <laughs> I'll stop doing that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but yeah, like your characters arrived when the problem did and then they became divine. Now I'm in a world where becoming divine is an accepted part 
of their new normal. And so they look, they look for the next person to ascend to that level, to protect them from the void. Mm. And now that's me. Yeah. I love that. That's um, that switch from the first game, like where you're in essence, you're a detective or like, and you're hunting down these source users. And then now you're on the other side of it and you kind of, one gives you a little bit of compassion for the other side. Cause there's, I remember in the first game, there was a, um, a former source user or sorcerer who was like chilling on the beach, just like in retirement. And like, I had the option to walk away and I was like, nah, my job is to hunt down source users. Even if you retired, I'm still taking your ass out. And it turned into this whole beach fight. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's kind of great to see that they decided to explore the other side a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's outstanding. I love it. It's interesting being the hunted instead of the hunter this time. Yeah. And then... And you, um, and you have situations where... Like, I, I'm in this town... And I was going to cross the bridge and then a dog started barking. It's like, Oh, that's a sore sound. Stay away. It's like, they have dogs that sniff out source users. Mm. And then, um, I pickpocketed a guy and he came and questioned me and put me in jail. And then I talked to the jail keeper, convinced him to go away and drop the key on the floor I took that, got out, and then I got a tag that said fugitive. And I was like, nah, I reloaded. <laughs> but at the same token, it's just, it would have been interesting to try to maneuver in the world being a fugitive like that. Like, would I just get in fights everywhere and get mad experience? Or would yeah, there yeah. be a way for me to be able to clear my name? I don't know. It's, this game is insane. It, everything that I've done so far has been a head and a shoulder above the content of the first game, which is already head and shoulders above most games on its own. It's, it's great. They streamlined it. They, they've made the appropriate changes to make more of its, of its mechanics and systems accessible. They've severely increased the quality of the characters, the writing, the performances, the content, the, just everything they've done with the main characters where you have six of them to choose from. You could talk to anybody with anybody. Everything's going to be different. You got skill checks all over the place. They refine the argument system. They even did little things like, you know, when, when you had to go into battle and you decided to throw a grenade, how, where you threw it isn't necessarily where it will land. <laughs> yeah. No more of that. You, it doesn't like matter. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you have. It doesn't matter who it is. There's no more like stat that controls that. You throw a grenade, it goes where you throw it. It blows up who it's supposed to blow up. There's there's a good number of things like that, and it makes this kind of stuff more accessible and easier to use. Uh, you were watching the stream with me during the pre-show. One thing you noted was the inventory system, which also took me by surprise, how instead of just going into an individual's character's inventory, it doesn't matter who you are, you go into everybody's inventory at the same time. You see them all laid out side by side by side by side. Yeah, you could swap items to and fro, but some of the bigger improvements they made on that front is that like 
the crafting system just uses one single master inventory, which is a combination of all four. Uh, there's also no crafting stat or blacksmithing stat anymore. It's, it's just a matter of knowing the recipes. If you have the recipes or if you can figure out the recipes, then you can make whatever it is you have to make. At the same token, it's also expanded a little bit. So now on the crafting screen, there are four squares and not just two. So there are recipes that involve a list of items and not just like, oh, you mix the eyeball with the jar and you make a perception potion. This time it's like, all right, you mix the apple with the orange, with the blood dagger, with the oven, and you make the 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 shit. <laughs> like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. Um, other things they streamline, even the conversation system, there's no more arguments. Instead, it's just a raw skill check. However, you have more skills to choose from. With the argument system, you either chose your, your reason, your charm, or intimidation. With the current system, you have a strength check, constitution check, intelligence check, a wits check, a finesse check. And then even within those checks, you get unique checks that are specific to the character. So you'll get like uh, intimidation elf or you'll get wits hero or you'll get like it, it, intelligence and your character's name, like their own unique response within that skill check. So it's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, um, everything you described, it seems like philosophically the right step as a developer, especially when it comes to the next step in in creating a sequel. Um, like one of those things, like when you say streamline, like it kind of became a negative term when it came for sequels. Like when mm-hmm. you look back at um, like Mass Effect and they're like, oh, they, they streamlined it from the first one to the second game and then even more streamlined it to the third game where people, the diehards of the first one were like, ah, oh, the first one felt more like an RPG and then they just inched more towards action RPG and then by the third one, it was just a straight up action game. And, I, and that's a, a thing that people who like get set in their camps they get upset about but it seems like with this game they streamlined it but in order to add more mechanics on top of what they've streamlined and in that way it seems like they fine-tuned the game and also evolved it at the same time which is uh something that i guess like you want to note like when you're playing sequels of games that like you're not just getting one the same game but you're also not getting a watered down version of the original and this one seems like it's just a complete expansion on what they set as a foundation for the first game now, it's always interesting to me how gamers demonize the thing and not the way the thing was used whenever it like with streamlining whenever it comes to a point where a developer says that they streamline something and gamers like, oh, streamlining's the devil. Why are you streamlining it? You're dumbing it down. You're doing this and that. It's like there are proper and good ways to streamline a product and there are improper ways to do it. Streamlining itself is not the issue here. It's the manner in which it's performed. And even then, you got to really poke and prod at the system to figure out how the streamlining was implemented before you could form an opinion but it's people keep taking the easy way out to throw streamlining under the bus as if it's a bad thing yeah (laughs) 
Uh, you got anything else with uh, Divinity 2 before we... No. So what I'm trying to see is what you've been playing. Yeah, so I've been putting in work in two games. Uh, the first one I'll get into, that would be that project Octopath Traveler. My man uh, Tony two games over here. Yes, sir. Uh yeah, I got the got the got the solo game and then I got the dolo game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um so yeah, I got the uh Octopath Traveler, putting in more work there. I'm about like 60, 60 hours in, um pretty much done wrapping up the final chapter two, which is the protagonist storyline, which is the, uh, the guy I chose who's the knight. So I'm, I'm hunting down my, my homie who took out my liege and I have to, I have to bring honor back to my land. So I'm making my way through. Um, only thing I can say about that game is that I've now discovered more and more, um, jobs, which then adds into, uh, adds more skills to each of my characters, which is pretty cool. But, Another side thing that they did that they did with the jobs is that as you select a job, it actually it actually changes the the skin of that character. So it's it's not just like it's it's fun to uh, add these new skills, but then it's also giving a, a new look. So, which is kind of funny because one of the job skills is a dancer, and so I have this dude who's like a thief, and so he looks like. You know, it looks like a thief mm-hmm. has his, his cloak and everything with his dagger. And then I switch to the dancer and all of a sudden he's like, a, he's dressed up like a belly dancer. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of humorous to see like how the different jobs can just play with the aesthetics of the game when it comes to like the look of the, of the, of the different characters. So that's, that's something just, just fun in the game. Um, now, a question that I've had for a long time, especially with the job system in Octopath, is that if you train another character in a different job will they also get that unique skill like with the dancer you have what entice or something yeah she has allure which allure. Um, yeah which gets a, a character to an npc to join her which that you can then use that npc in battle so no they won't get that um that ability they just get her um basically her magic abilities or her regular um yeah her regular command attacks but they won't get like that world ability. Mm-hmm. So that that in essence, that what's good about that is it still keeps those it keeps those characters unique in their own way. But mm-hmm. then it uh, bridges the gap so that you can have, um, I guess, like uh, higher combinations of of builds for your characters as opposed to the um, the the built in build of like that type. So uh, yeah, like I can have like my knight who's a tank, but then also walking around with um, spells, so then make him a battle mage in essence. But I made him a, a merchant knight because I like his. Uh, the merchant has an ability to rest, which um, you take a, a a turn off, but then you get your um, ability point. We'll say ability points back and some health on top of that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, so it's it's pretty awesome. Other game I've been playing, Luigi's Mansion. Um, so there's a total of I, I finally did the math. I, I counted up all the uh, the available button slots, and there's a total of fifteen. And I'm on floor ten, so I'm making my way towards the uh, the top floor. So there's about five left. Uh, each what's pretty cool. Each floor is very unique in its own way. It's if you were to break it down, it's almost similar to the different paintings in mario 64 um but it's just each floor is its own floor in itself so like the previous level was i was in kind of like a basement cellar 
type area like a boiler room and this area now it's like a pyramid like uh style a level so there's like a lot of traps along the floors and um just like it, it plays into that theme which is pretty cool so it makes each and every level uh unique in its own way what I also love about this game is it kind of feels like a point and click adventure in 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 the puzzle mechanics because you'll find you'll find things that you can manipulate and it's pretty clever in how they allow you to manipulate certain things. So no he like Luigi doesn't have inventory, but you can grab something and walk around with it. And so you'll find certain things like I found like um a bucket. And I was just like, oh, well, what's this bucket for? I, I guess I can shoot it. But like, it wasn't really doing anything for me. And then it became this thing where there is this one part of the level that's on fire. And there's this other part where there's like this scary witch that hops out the well. So I get to do the math and it's like, all right, take this bucket. When the witch pops up, hand her the bucket. And then when she goes back into the well, it'll fill that bucket with water. Then I got to make her pop back up again, grab the bucket, and then I run this bucket back over to the fire to put out the fire. So there's little things like that, a very point-and-click adventure, like um, old Sierra, like quest-style games-esque. And like they're just bringing that to Luigi's Mansion, which just adds like another layer to the game so that it's not just about ghost hunting. It's about interacting with your environments. So yeah, um, Luigi's Mansion is killing it. Would be definitely be up there with my game of the years for last year. <laughs> Damn. Yes. But a duh. That honorable mention. <laughs> that 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 late that belated honorable mention. A dub. Let's get into the topics of the week. Top topics of the week. So this is kind of the um, I'll say the COVID roundup. Um, the the effects that. Um, dealing with uh, just navigating through this current environment has had the impacts it's had on the gaming industry. And this being with, uh, with a focus on the launch of games. So we'll start uh, chronologically with how things began with the week. So on Monday, Square Enix um, had an announcement for the release of Final Fantasy. And to set that up, Final Fantasy was scheduled to release on April 10th. Then they released this post. Uh, <laughs> uh. We had some hard decisions to make during the final few weeks before launch due to its disruption to distribution channels caused by the spread of COVID-19 virus. These unique circumstances have made it very difficult to align timing for our global shipping. Our highest priority is that all of you, including those who live in countries currently facing the biggest dis- uh, disruption, can play the game at launch. So we made the decision to ship the game for far earlier than usual to Europe and Australia. As a result, there is a greater chance that some of you in these regions will now get a copy of the game prior to the worldwide release date of April 10th. For other breaking street date. <laughs> yeah, on, on their own. <laughs> yeah. For other Western regions, including the Americas, Uh, Copies will be shipped this week, and we feel optimistic that most of you will receive the game for launch. However, due to the challenging situation, we cannot provide delivery dates for each country and each retailer. So, yeah. So, basically, they're they're trying to hit their release date. They're trying to make sure people get the game when they want the game. They're being a little lenient on their street date crackdown policies, which is cool. Yeah, they they like uh, I didn't read that part, but uh, later in the memo or the release, they basically said that um, 
please do your best to not um, spoil the game for other people. Granted, we kind of know how this is going to play out, but there's new content added. So they said, please, uh, at your discretion, please do not share um, everything that this game has to offer for people who will be waiting for the, uh, the April 10th release date. I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that there's going to be someone like, I got it early. I beat it. It's shit. Yeah, it's crap. I know, like, people are And then the firestorm begins. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I saw, like, people were, I guess, like, um, sharing, I guess, like, clips or at least screenshots on Reddit. But, I mean, you kind of have to go out of your way to, to find that stuff. And, I mean... It, it's it's the times and i do appreciate that appreciate that they're still trying to get this game out um and so yeah they decided instead of releasing the game later let's just get it out earlier and i'm sure that has to do with the fact that uh, a lot of these countries are closing down their borders and we know how hard like europe's getting hit by the virus so they're like let's just get it there as soon as possible because we don't know if there's going to be even even further lockdowns with the import of like uh of goods so yeah just get it out there and if the people get it early they get it early um how do you how do you feel about all that at least like the staggered launch and i think it, i think it's an outstanding move get ahead of the tragedy before it becomes more tragic i don't really see it as a stagger launch it's just the comp it's just the retailers are getting their copies earlier than they normally would have in the past it's still on them to honor the street date yeah exactly there's definitely going to be a bunch of leaked copies that's going to be that's going to be simple but at the same token this is an outstanding game it looks outstanding visually and the people who have played it, or at least most of the people who have played it, are really enjoying it. So I have no worries about if like, this is going to lead to a negative reception or if it's going to harm sales or anything like that. And I also appreciate that they're doing what's, what they feel is necessary in order to make sure that the game does get out on time to the people who really want it, rather than just like, oh, well our day one sales are going to be hampered. So we're not putting this out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, as they said, like there is like, uh, obviously Doom Eternal and um, Animal Crossing, they're kind of filling the void right now, but there is a void that of um, content that needs to be filled. And so, yeah, why not get it into the hands, especially the people who are completely locked down in say like Italy or France right now, who can't even leave their houses well, now they're getting a game that shows up and now they can at least focus on however long that game is for the time being. I think they need to get a hot air balloon and just coast across, like, coast across the skies of these various countries and drop copies of the game on little parachutes. Yeah, it's just like, like leaflets. Like leaflets. <laughs> <laughs> Just going the street is just the last of us two everywhere. Yeah, like, they just drop it all over communist countries. Like this in is fact, how this is how you beat them. <laughs> in fact, why not do it like like AOL disc where you just put the game out there. You can take you can take a copy, but when you put it in your system, you got to pay sixty dollars to unlock it. Yeah. Or you only get like you get two hundred minutes of the game. <laughs> two hundred. You get one thousand forty eight minutes of the game. <laughs> Remember that nonsense where they had just these random big numbers of minutes? And first of all, how are you? How did they get away with selling 
or giving away increments of time on the internet. Yeah, I never really understood any of it in general because, like, you could look at it like with texting. They used to charge by the text, and then like used to have like rollover minutes and all that shit. You used to yeah. have to pay to call like into the next town. <laughs> yeah, Klondike Five. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, but um, I still don't know what Klondike Five is, but whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I I think uh, there's some people who are upset because they're like, well, why don't they just make it available digital for everybody then like why are they making us wait until april 10th and it's just like come on man like for some people you you'll never get it right but they're trying to get ahead of it which um i applaud in that way but a dub i mean do you want to play the game or not yeah exactly so a dub though what you got so continuing on with the season of delays (laughs) a big one we lost a big one Second time, actually. This is the second delay. Uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment on Thursday announced that The Last of Us Part 2 has been delayed indefinitely. How dare they? Yeah. (laughs) So let me see. A tweet from Sony, and this is by way of IGN, by the way, said uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment has made the difficult decision to delay the launch of The Last of Us Part 2 and marvel's iron man vr until further notice (laughs) logistically the global crisis is preventing us from providing the launch experience our players deserve currently there are no other delays to report but we'll keep you updated as they come in yes there's a lot to unpack here so adub um real quick this is all speculation but what do you think logistically or like logistics means to them I mean, logistics, it's as simple as it gets. Logistics only really comes into effect at two points for companies like these. At the one point, logistics comes into effect when developing and producing the the product itself, which is the logistics of getting people together, getting content, making sure that it's getting finished off, correctly implemented. And then there's the logistics of getting the product to the customer, which is a matter of shipping, retail, and distribution. So we'll start with the the first part of it. You think that they're pretty much, you think that they had to delay because there's further development of this game, or you think it's just a matter of the shipping? I think it's just a matter of the shipping and your boys over at Naughty Dog seem to feel the same way because in response to the delay, they issued their own statement. As you've likely just seen, the release of The Last of Us Part Two has been delayed. We're sure this news is as disappointing to you as it is to us. Uh, the good news is we're nearly done with development. We're in the midst of fixing our final bugs. However, even with us finishing the game, we were faced with the reality that due to logistics beyond our control, we couldn't launch The Last of Us 2 to our satisfaction. We want to make sure everyone gets to play The Last of Us 2 around the same time, ensuring that we're doing anything possible to preserve the best experience for everyone. So they're quite clearly stating that the game's pretty much done, so it's not a development issue. It's definitely making sure that physical copies can get out there where they need to be in the time they need to be there, which is kind of weird to me because apparently Square Enix can figure out how to do that. So what are, what's the difference between the expectations for the final fantasy seven remake and that of the last of us two? Yeah. Well, the, 
I guess it comes into place how early in the process do they start like hammering out those hard copies? Um, like maybe was Square Enix already on top of it because there's a closer release um, release date, and so they were already. Uh, they probably got it done first. Yeah, because that's the um, that's the other side of this, which um, I guess we can just we can kind of work this in, but we'll get it dive into it more with the whole idea of Ghost of Tsushima that hasn't been delayed yet, and yeah. so. They they have more time to kind of figure out that launch, especially with the uh, hard copies, and so um, maybe they just felt like with The Last of Us, there just wasn't enough time, or there's just still too much up in the air. Um, logistics, also, I was just thinking, factoring for for them factoring it in. Do you think at all they took into account? Well, one, we're gonna have to move a mountain to get these the hard copies into these people's hands. But then on top of that, do you think the tone of the game itself um, might have played in a factor where it's like, well, and you know what? There's no rush to really get this out. This game is kind of gloomy. It's dealing with not necessarily a virus, but uh, and, and we'll just say a pandemic in of sorts. And so um, like maybe they think, all right, well, there's no need to rush just due to the current climate that we're dealing with right now. Do you think that factored in at all? I highly doubt that because no matter when the game comes out, which is still going to be sometime soon, we're still going to be dealing with the fallout and the ongoing resonance of this issue with everyone around the world. So there's never going to be a good time to put out this game. The pandemic is happening and in the future it would have happened so unless you're planning on holding the game for like 10 or 15 years it's coming out they definitely didn't they didn't hold it back for sensitivity of the issue i think that they're legitimately holding it back just because of the economic circumstances where they either can't produce the number of copies they need in the amount of time they needed, or maybe people just don't have money. They know that people are going through financial struggles. Maybe it's actually getting these products to where they need to go in the cheapest and most expedient manner. But it, I definitely think that sensitivity toward current events is least on the list of concerns. Yeah, I guess that's where I look at the part where it's indefinite so it's like i think that's where you have to start wondering why indefinite and why not just a later release date um i think it's just it's just for the sake of appearances because they gave you february already they could make that they gave you may and now they're not making may so it doesn't really make sense to keep giving people dates if there's always the possibility that you're going to adjust it again so yeah just give I, them that def just give them that indefinite maybe wait two or three weeks before everything comes together and then give them a release date. Yeah. Cause I feel like if you're looking at indefinite, it's either one of those things that we're now they're looking at as like, well, do we now just consider holding it off for fall then like for a possible, like, like right around assuming it does still release in, uh, I guess, holiday season, PlayStation five I'm referring to. If now mm -hmm. they're starting to look at it is like, well, at this point, if we're not going to give them, say, I don't know, like a July date or August, 
why don't we just hold off then completely and then see if we can now sync this up to then have a an even bigger splash, let's say, alongside a, a bundle down the lines with maybe the PlayStation 5 or something along those lines. So well, I mean, that, that's also assuming that a PlayStation 5 version would be ready on launch day. And I think that's the leap people are taking without looking to see what's on the other side. It's one thing... It's one thing if they t- if the first time they delayed the game it was for PS5 and it's also another thing if Sony never made the remark that all the games that they announced so far are still going to be on PS4. So it isn't like a PS4 version is disappearing and at the same token just because it's getting pushed back doesn't mean that whatever eventual PS5 version there'll be is actually like how are they taking longer to make the game itself and yet taking a shorter amount of time to get it on ps5 it just feels weird yeah i mean with the backwards compatibility that lends it the option to be able to play and then you can always just re- like release uh, an upgrade to that goes along with that ps4 version of the that con- ps5 of the patch yeah exactly so i mean it's it seems like the idea of making it indefinite is means that well now how can we how can we now utilize this like to our advantage like i felt like that's like almost like what nintendo did with like zelda where it's like we could have this out on the wii u but now we've hit a point where it's like why not just release it with the switch and so like i like it just seems like now they're they're being they're they're trying to be a little more strategic about it as opposed to like let's just get it out there because like a, I, a lot of the questions that immediately came in is why not just do the digital version and then like whenever you can get the hard copies out you get it out but clearly it it's seems still like, a business like they still yeah. want to achieve their records and uh, so it, that's such an interesting question as well because are isn't aren't the people aren't there people within that group that are also of the camp that are like oh well what about people on farms or without internet who can't download digital so it's like now you want to take the benefits of digital when it comes to you not being able to get a game at all it's like oh why don't they just put out this version that i hate <laughs> exactly yeah i guess it's like that's where the messaging comes into place but once again it's a, a term that we discussed last week was uh messaging with sony and so people when they hear something as indefinite as indefinite um it's uh it's like it's a little vague and so i think that's where it's like all right well let's see how this plays out but i mean it's they also delayed iron man vr which i'm assuming which I think is the bigger news here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like, I think it's just in general, they're just looking at their games and how they line up. And it's like, all right, well, let's just also, we're going to take Iron Man VR off the table as well and try to figure this out. Yeah, try so, to cover the try to cover the sense. <laughs> yeah. And so with that, we haven't heard anything about Ghost of Tsushima circ- circling back to that game. So do you anticipate a delay for Ghost of Tsushima or do you think nope. that... So how do you, what's the reason why you would say that? Because I haven't, we haven't heard anything to say that. And plus, wasn't Ghost of Tsushima's release date announced during the pandemic? I, I don't remember when it was. It was like, it was somewhat like recently. I just don't know when it was announced. It, it was recently. So it's like, eh, 
if they say something, they say something, but until they say something, I'm not going to sit around like normal people do and entertain this fantasy of all the things I want getting further away from me. Yeah. So, I mean, like when you look at that and not delaying Ghost of Tsushima, like, I guess my curiosity is, do they expect a lower amount of sales from it? And so they're comfortable with that release date as opposed to the splash of the last of us Two. God damn it. Are you reading these troll forums? Hey, we got to get into it. (laughs) We got nothing else to discuss. (laughs) Are they sending it out to die? Yeah. Remember not, but like two or three weeks ago when people were trolling the ghost of Tsushima saying that, Oh, why are they putting it after the last of us? People aren't going to play it. It's like, all right, well, now it's coming out before The Last of Us. So you're going to play it or you're going to do like I hypothesize people would do. It's like, oh, well, The Last of Us is coming out. So I'm just I'm not going to play anything until that. Yeah, like the way I look at it, it's like for Ghost of Tsushima, if anything, it gives it more room. And as I was mentioning with um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, it's there is a void right now of content and people are kind of just sitting down. Everybody's discussing, what is it like Tiger King? And because there's nothing, there's literally, <laughs> yeah, there's literally nothing to discuss because everybody's consuming the same stuff. And so, yeah, you would think like you want to, if you have something to get out there, then you would get it out. And so, yeah, it gives, if anything, I feel like impact wise, it, it's a little more beneficial to go to Tsushima. And maybe they saw that as, well, we have gamers who are hungry for a new game. We could still have Ghost of Tsushima still come out where it comes out. And now we can push off Last of Us because we don't have to actually hit this release date anymore. So if anything, it gives maybe Ghost of Tsushima a game that might have had some of its sales consumed by uh, Last of Us 2. It now leaves it on the island to just basically handle business all by itself. And so if anything, that might boost the sales of Ghost of Tsushima as opposed to um, having to compete with other content. Well, so, yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to sell at least one copy because I'm not going anywhere. Yes, A-Dub standing strong. Yes, Ghost um, Tsushima is my rock, my jam. Yes, um, but since we're, we're in troll territory, A-Dub, what do you mm-hmm. got going there? Mm-hmm. Well, normally we do the troll of the week theme, but we're doing this over Zoom. It's got a little lag. <laughs> a little lag switch. So I'm just going to get right into it. Of course, today's trolls are coming sideways. At the last of us two getting delayed, first troll says, thank God. Now just can the whole thing and say the DLC wasn't canon either. Also, fire Neil Cuckman, then bring back Bruce and Amy. Damn. Damn. They're still, they're still out there going strong. Yeah. <laughs> Lurking in the shadows, making games that never get released. Yeah, I wonder what Bruce is up to. I know he took like a sabbatical or something, or he definitely walked away from Naughty Dog entirely. Amy, she's like going around talking shit in interviews about the development process, and rightfully so, because there are things about the development process on big budget games that need to change. So keep doing the Lord's work, Amy. This troll is interesting because he's grateful that this game got delayed, delayed, not canceled or anything. He's suggesting it get canceled. Just can the whole thing and say the DLC wasn't canon. So doesn't even want the first game to have the attachment of the Left Behind DLC, which was among the most well-received DLCs out there. 
I can't hope to rationalize with these people. Next troll says, or asks, late April Fools? Next troll says, physical simps ruining things for everyone again. I hope physical games are banned. Banned. <laughs> not, not only can you not buy a physical copy of a game, but you're going to get in trouble if you even have one. Mm. Next troll says, I knew it all along. The gameplay looks so fake. There was no way the PS4 could run this. This is a PS5 title. Well, I mean, this game getting delayed doesn't negate the reality that Sony said it's going to be on PS4, so that kind of negates your entire little diatribe there. Uh, Next troll says, was a hot mess anyway. Following that, the next troll says, the delay of us two, which I don't really know how to take. Is Is it a joke, a play on words about the delay of The Last of Us 2, or is he talking about... Jordan Peele's highly anticipated sequel to us. I don't know. Last troll says, don't care. Another movie game with probably a bunch of must strong women shoved in our faces. <laughs> nice to see the SJWs are still home down strong. <laughs> the anti-SJWs. <laughs> that was hilarious to me. Just people are really upset about the idea of a strong woman character leading a game. Which is funny too. I feel like uh, in the midst of like everything that we're dealing with right now, there actually hasn't been a ton of SJW talk because people are focusing on real shit now. Yeah, so it's nobody's like nobody's talking I, about censorship anymore. Yeah, like so the idea that like people are still focused on SJW when nobody's discussing SJW stuff anymore. Like they just they're holding on to like that. You made me, you made me hear about things that I didn't want to hear about. You made me feel things that I didn't want to feel. Butter emails. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so, yeah. imagine imagine if this country was being run by the nice old lady around this time instead oh, of the big we, dumb jackass. We'd be in five wars right now, I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're talking about the war hawk? <laughs> uh, we're in a war right now where we're not even sending people to like defeat the enemy. We're sending people to die. And that's just it. It's crazy. But whatever. This isn't a political show. It's a gaming show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, all I got to say to the trolls is like, look, the greatness is on hold. They got a business to run. They got lights to keep on. They got two weeks of paid leave that they have to afford for all their employees. They got perks. They got benefits. They got options. They got all that stuff. I know we've heard some horror stories about the way that Naughty Dog works. But at the same token, there are plenty of jobs in the gaming industry. So people could pack up and leave. If they can't pack up and leave and they stick around, I'm not going to say that's their fault because that's not the company should behave better. But at the same token, they must be behaving well enough. Yeah. One of, the, less. Oh, one, of the things, one of the things I did here is like people were saying like, oh, that just means indefinite crunch <laughs> <laughs> perpetual crunch i mean dude even in my job we were talking about it at, at the pre-show it's like every year around this time and this happens every year like crunch only happens for a game company every few years but when you're working in finance or in accounting you have crunch like every month every three months there's a bigger crunch and then every 12 months there's the biggest crunch of the whole year you're dealing with 
like closing down your in, you're dealing with auditors, you're dealing with tax stuff, you're dealing with all the little problems throughout an entire year that people just kick the can down the road on and suddenly it's, well, it's year end. Everything has to be addressed. Everything has to be corrected. Everything has to be right. So there's crunch. Like I don't know how people can't, Except the reality that no matter what industry you're in, no matter what job you do, there's a deadline. And unless you're just humming along all the way to that deadline, you're going to reach a point where it has to get done. And if you've got any excess work, if you're behind in any way, if somebody's not there that day, you're going to have to pick up the slack. It's going to have to get done. These are things that make up the substance of How do you feel about it, AMC? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I get the spirit in which people are coming with when they're, like when the Jason Schreiers of the world are reporting on crunch and trying to basically get better situations for people. I mean, like even right now, like um, there's been a lot of like acknowledgement that um, that grocery store workers are technically on the front line. And it's one of those things like, and they were, they're kind of trying to bring that to light, like some of the circumstances that they're dealing with right now, um, trying to keep the, the communities fed and they're putting themselves in bad situations. So you always want to shed a light when uh, an entire workforce is feeling some bit of, I guess, unnecessary or undue pain that could be avoided. Um, so I get that, but yeah, I, I also stand on the other side where this is not that (laughs) this is just the, this is the development of video games. And so if anything, uh, is not, I guess, considered essential, then it's kind of your choice to be involved in, in those crunch situations because you can totally change jobs. You can switch companies. You can find ways to, to, end up in a better situation. So I like I have no problem with the reporting of crunch and just the acknowledgement of some studios just tend to run things a lot worse than others and having that acknowledgement so when people are looking for jobs that they just have that that further knowledge of where they're where they're going to end up but uh yeah I don't I don't fully feel bad is what I basically what I'm getting at when it comes to crunch in these situations. Well I feel like all the crunch talk doesn't really get at the foundation of what crunch is and how to effectively mitigate it. I'm firmly of the belief that no matter what you do, there's always going to be crunch because something has to be done and it has to be out the door. There are going to be loose ends. There are going to be things that need to get patched. It just happens. But I think that in a world where crunch is a thing, how do you make it as comfortable and as as minimally stressful as possible? So in that regard, I feel like companies could do much better, just accept it, own up to it, and you know, rise to the occasion. It doesn't get better when just the mere utterance of the word like riles up a a mutinous community response. So I think that's where that split is. Yeah, I think it's 
I think if anything, what we're learning right now is companies are kind of losing the excuse of things are the way they are because that's just the way that they are. Because like I know for a lot of people, like one of the things with crunch that they talk about, especially with video games, is people talk about how they're not seeing their families. And now all of a sudden people are still developing games fine from their home. And so there are little details like that where it's like, well, were these companies forcing their employees um, to work in the office when if crunch is really bad, they could have found a way to have them working remotely and still at a at a at a steady pace for for the development goals. And so we're seeing, I think now we're, we're going to see that, I guess that uh, magnifying glass put on the industry and the development process to see that, well, there are certain things that were done that aren't necessarily needed anymore, or that now we've proven that technology can take care of as opposed to keeping people in an office setting um, so that they can just keep tabs on their hourly rates of pay. Yeah, so yeah. I mean- we already saw that CD Projekt Red is finishing the development of Cyberpunk 2077 from the comfort of their homes in observance of social distancing guidelines. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think if, if it anything, shows you it can be done. Yeah. So if anything, it's showing that things don't have to necessarily operate the way that they were. But yeah, like um, getting to kind of your argument, uh, the idea of crunch is going to always be a thing. It's just, uh, so it's, it's always going to be a negative word and people don't want to hear it, but it's going to exist. It's now just a matter of, are we being smart about how we deal with crunch? And now I think that basically one of the takeaways from COVID is it's forcing a lot of industries to re-examine their different processes. And so, yeah, I would hope that now this is an opportunity for a lot of companies to evolve past the archaic ways of, of, of doing business as they were. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we got a next topic of the week. Um, yes, we got, we got two. It's great, man. We've, we've done enough discussion where we don't have to hit a question. So we have two that we can quickly hit. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, we got April PS plus a dub. Are you excited for, All right. are, you, are you excited to replay? Oh, by we and me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you excited to replay Uncharted 4? <laughs> what we got? <laughs> no, not. <laughs> yeah, it was an outstanding game at the time. It was outstanding, outstanding acting, tough as nails, gunfighting. Like it was, it was tough to work through, even though I felt like it lacked a little bit on the gameplay side. But overall, fantastic game. I'm not in a rush to get back in there. I think I, I think I bought that digitally. Yeah, I think I bought that digitally, so I'm good, baby. And then second game, Dirt Rally 2.0. That shovelware. <laughs> <laughs> People have always had good things to say about Dirt Rally. Yeah. Um, oh, a racing game and a game that I already didn't play on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's not a bad lineup, especially uh, when you co- when you talk about like one of the bigger PS4 uh, single player experiences. Uh, Uncharted is definitely one of those games that are a must play. If you haven't gotten to it already, you might have hopped on the PlayStation late. I believe like a couple months ago, they gave the um, 
Uncharted uh, trilogy away. So now you could, if you were already on PS Plus, now you got all four games without having to buy them. Get so that quadrilogy. Cool. Exactly. Yes. Man, if I've ever been jealous or like envious of the Xbox for any reason, it is because they have the Forza and Forza Horizon franchises. I mean, they got a they got a racing game every year or two. That's ridiculous. And it's of high quality, high customization. It's a perfect blend of sim and arcade. Don't get me wrong. Dirt Rally 2, I'm sure it's fine. I don't want to play a rally game. Uh, I don't want to get into Gran Turismo Sport. I wish there was a another Gran Turismo, like a mainline entry that I could get into. I'm trying to get some force in my life. Yeah. Um, and then the last topic of the week, we got the topic of the week, the announcement of Rogue Legacy 2. Yes. This is what we've really been building up to this whole show. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the more epic, like, indie experiences. Um, God, I remember playing that game at my old apartment with you and just just digging in, doing those runs after runs after runs and slowly those generations, those mutations. Becoming a Hokage. <laughs> the Hokage was hilarious. I'm so glad they did that. Yeah, so I mean, that's, if anything, that's what I'm looking forward to, to see what new classes they may have. Um, if Dragon. They, if they're if they're holding on to that same foundation and then just building upon that, I mean, it was great. Like the idea, like how you would work your way up the uh, the castle, I guess, skill tree as you unlock things um, that would then uh, show up as benefits in your later runs. The your idea, lineage. yeah, the um, playing, getting as far as you can to collect as much gold as you can so that you can then spend it before your next run. Mm-hmm. Um, this this really set up the the gameplay loop that I that I grew to eventually love from roguelike games, and this game having rogue straight in the title of the game. Um, right. Yeah. So I mean this was one of the greater experiences of uh, playing the first one. So I'm super excited to hear as more details come out for rogue legacy Two what they have in store for us. Looking forward to it. Yes. Well, that's all I got a dub. Do you have anything else before we get out of here? I'm tapped out, man. Yes, sir. All right. Well, this was control issues. <laughs> I am the AMC. <laughs> Thank you.